Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratz and today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Jacob Avila. Hello there. Today we're going to discuss an abscess paper. This is titled Abscess Incision and Drainage with or without Ultrasonography, a Randomized Controlled Trial. This was in Annals of Emergency Medicine, August 2018. So it's not often you see randomized controlled trials in point-of-care ultrasound literature, and probably even less frequently that you see it for skin and soft tissue infection. So pretty cool study. I'm glad they, they tackled this issue. And as a little background, there's been some debate in how useful ultrasound is for abscesses. And the reason is that a lot of people say if you can see it clinically, then it's probably an abscess and ultrasound's not going to add a lot to your workup. However, if there is no sign of an abscess and maybe you think it's just cellulitis, then some people think that is uh, actually a good time to use ultrasound because clinically we're not as good as we think at picking up those abscesses. So the real question is, does it change anything? Does it matter to the patient? So what they wanted to look at in this paper is, does point-of-care ultrasound used for the diagnosis and treatment of superficial soft tissue abscesses lead to any lower clinical failure rates compared to physical exam? So they're looking at a patient-centered outcome here of, does this help the patient not have to come back for another drainage or more antibiotics or more treatment? And they compared a POCUS arm versus a physical exam alone arm. So Jacob, tell us a little bit more how they did this comparison. Sure. So what I like about this is that they didn't necessarily use this as like a diagnostic modality. It wasn't, does this patient have an abscess or not? The patient was already assumed to have an abscess. After the patient was assumed to have an abscess, what they did is they randomized patients prospectively to get the therapy, which is the incision and drainage, based off of the ultrasound finding or based off the physical examination. So this was a convenient sample of patients that needed an IND for the abscess. And they got randomized to point-of-care ultrasound, physical exam, and incision and drainage, or just physical examination and the IND without point-of-care ultrasonography. And they did this, their inclusion criteria is basically patients who had a suspected skin abscess requiring incision and drainage. Their inclusion criteria were atraumatic swelling pain or erythema consistent with an abscess cavity and they were enrolled by clinical staff and research staff when they were present in the emergency department their exclusion criteria were uh, there's a few of them uh, there were patients with a soft tissue abscess after a foreign body um, an animal bite those were excluded if they had a pernicia dental abscesses genital abscess parentonsillar abscess or of course those who were unwilling to consent and then patients who appeared clinically ill so that's people that uh, you know maybe needed IV antibiotics maybe admission maybe needed to go to the OR based off the initial examination so you know if they had a fever if they were hypotensive they were excluded as well now one other thing I want to mention is that when they were incorporating their ultrasound into the IND, the way that they did the ultrasound was not really standardized. So they didn't have to do it a specific way to be able to include the patient in the arm that did the ultrasound. So it did fall into three categories though. They had static ultrasound guidance. 
uh, where the uh, ultrasound images were obtained before IND. They used dynamic ultrasound guidance, which is honestly my favorite, um, when ultrasound images were obtained during incision and drainage. And they did something called a comprehensive ultrasound guidance, where they did cycle, a sort of a cycle of images that were obtained before and after the incision and drainage attempts. Um, and if they needed repeated IND, they would go ahead and go back and look again. So not standardized, people could do basically however they felt comfortable using the ultrasound when they were doing the POCUS arm. Now, as a little side note, I'm curious, Jacob, when you look for an abscess on ultrasound, do you kind of go back and forth? Do you look once and then just drain it? Honestly, the way that I do it is I do a sort of um, dynamic when they're small is my favorite. Like if I'm doing like a, you know, like a needle aspiration, that is the one that I think looks the coolest. However, um, what I find myself often doing just because it's a little bit easier in the moment might actually be kind of making a crosshair. So find something in short access where the biggest pocket is, um, do kind of two lines on the skin with a little marker and then turn it into the short access and then two lines and then right where those uh, four kind of points intersect that's where I do my my poke is usually how I end up doing it although dynamic is by far my favorite to do yeah and I like the idea I don't do this myself but it makes sense that if you look with the ultrasound before you drain and then look afterwards to ensure that the pocket is kind of collapsed down I'm sure that might might be helpful to make sure you got it all yeah, although you, you get air can kind of get in the way. That, that would be my only issue with that is that it'd be hard to tell if you got it all out. If you open something, it's like full of air. Uh, might be a little difficult. Yeah, I've done that before when I've had, uh, when I'm doing a needle aspiration, like a breast abscess or something where you want to make sure you got a good drainage. All right, so let's get to the results. Now, Jacob mentioned this was a convenience sample and about 450 people came in with abscesses during this trial period, but 125 patients were enrolled. Their power analysis said they only needed 53 patients, so that's good that they got 125. Now, the differences between the initial groups comparing the patient populations to make sure it was a fair fight, the POCUS group had a little more purulence on the initial exam, as well as more abscesses on the torso. Uh, they also were less likely to have a history of IV drug abuse or previous abscess and less likely to have received antibiotics. So that's, that's a potential confounder, but the confidence interval crossed zero there, so they said probably not as significant. Overall, we're talking about abscesses with a median abscess size of about seven centimeters squared. That's a good size abscess, man. You know, pretty, pretty decent size. That might have been their median, but what I'm most excited about was that their highest or their biggest abscess they included was 79 centimeters squared. Wow. Yeah, that's a very large abscess. Are you sure they didn't just mistake the peritoneal cavity for an abscess and it was just... It's it's hard to say based off of the data that's presented in this study, but I like to assume that they were able to tell the difference. All right, let's get to their primary results here. So remember, they're comparing the clinical failure of the POCUS arm versus physical exam alone. POCUS failure, 3.7%. Physical exam failure, 17%. Whoa. So it seems pretty big. It's a difference of 13%, but I have to I have to note that the confidence interval for that difference goes from 0.0 to 19.4%. So you're saying it could be as high as 19.4% different? Is that what you're saying? Yes, but more importantly, <laughs> as low as 0%. Yeah, fair enough. So as one of their secondary outcomes, the authors had 
asked patients to come back in two to three days for a repeat exam, and they also called them by telephone 10 days later to kind of see how they were doing. And so the findings from these results were that there was really no difference in the symptoms at follow-up. Not all of the patients presented back to the emergency department, but at least everyone that they either saw or called wasn't a big difference in how they were doing clinically. Now, they also did a couple other analyses with intention to treat. There was no difference in the result. They also did a multivariate logistic modeling and found that ultrasound was the largest predictor of failure. So they did their, they did their due diligence with the statistics here, trying to look from every possible angle what was confounding these results, and it seems like ultrasound played a big role here. So what do you make of this, Jacob? Is it going to change your practice? Are there any fatal flaws here? It's not going to really change my practice because I already kind of believe this. I already kind of use this um, to guide my management. But what I think it will be most useful is that it will help me when other people like, I can just feel it with my fingers. I can just look at it. I can, I have some evidence now that using ultrasound might actually decrease failure rate. So it's not going to change my personal practice, but I think it'll help me encourage other people to start incorporating this more into their everyday practice. Yeah, I agree with you. We took what was previously diagnostic-based evidence, like maybe point-of-care ultrasound is a little more accurate, or maybe it's not, and now we have evidence that maybe it actually decreases recurrence. So I, I agree with you. That's a more patient-centered outcome that we can use to motivate people to use ultrasound. Now, one thing that I was concerned about was their definition of failure in this case because they checked in with some people at two days and if they needed a procedure and needed more antibiotics, that counted as a failure. I I guess there's not really good standardization as to when the abscess should improve, but we don't know what would have happened after that two days because what if everything would have just gone its course and not caused any problems after that? Well, honestly, I mean, that's kind of like one of my issues with soft tissue ultrasound in general because it's it's a very it's very difficult to have a good gold standard i mean the the best gold standard would actually be for everybody at the time of the ultrasound to get an mri and then get another mri at like seven days to see if you know if the ultrasound was was correct but it you know that's not feasible at all so it's kind of tough but i think with with a you know the resources that I think many of us have, I think this is a okay gold standard. Like it's not the best, but it's an okay standard. Yeah, and I like. I mean, they tried to see him clinically for assessment. They tried to call him, so they they did a good job trying to replicate a good standard there. Another thing that's curious to discuss is how did ultrasound decrease the recurrence? I mean, the there's not a clear mechanism for that to happen. the The authors say. Maybe it's because you get a better initial drainage if you're able to visualize the pocket. But, I mean, that doesn't really make sense for the people that just ultrasound once before it and then do the drainage. I I guess you could theoretically say maybe they're more accurate in where they make their incision. But it, it leaves a question as to how this causality would actually take place. And then, of course, the authors like to keep it relevant. So they tied in this to the recent trials that have showed antibiotics leading to decreased recurrence rate. And they're saying that maybe some of those trials used ultrasound and that also was responsible for some of the improvement over no antibiotic arms. I I don't know if that, if we can really take a lot of credit to ultrasound there, but it's an interesting idea. All right. So let me summarize this study. 
This was a randomized control trial. There were two arms, one that the patients got point of care ultrasound for their drainage and the second one where they had physical exam and no point of care ultrasound. Ultimately enrolled 125 patients. The failure rate in the POCUS arm was 3.7%. The failure rate in the physical exam arm was 17%. The difference there did cross zero in the confidence intervals. So statistically, there's a question of whether there was actually a true difference. But I think that with this patient-centered outcome, it lends some evidence that point-of-care ultrasound can decrease recurrence rate. So my take-home point from this article is that using ultrasound for superficial skin abscess can be associated with less failure of your initial incision and drainage. So again, thanks to the authors for doing a great randomized controlled trial. We always love to see these patient-centered outcomes. This is great stuff. And thank you for continuing to listen to our podcast. We really appreciate it. If you want to find out more, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org. You can visit us on Google+, Facebook, or talk to us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Dilly-dallied. It was a patient that had turned into an abscess. Yeah.